This is episode 265 with physical therapist, certified strength and conditioning specialist, and running coach, Dr. Asher Henry. Welcome to the Strength Running Podcast. I'm your host, Coach Jason Fitzgerald, and this episode features one of my Endeavor Run running retreat co-coaches, Dr. Asher Henry. She's a strength and running coach, as well as a physical therapist, and we're discussing the posterior chain today. This group of muscles is on your backside and is paramount to staying healthy and for top performances. We're going to talk through the major issues we have in these muscles, how to address them, and also how to prevent those problems in the first place. If staying healthy is a goal of yours, get my best injury prevention advice at strengthrunning.com prevention. And if you're new here, this show features training conversations, coaching calls, and experts in the running space to elevate your thinking about the sport. I want to help you make wiser decisions about your training so that you can keep improving. Because if you better understand the process of improvement, when you recognize knowledge as a competitive advantage, you'll be a much better runner. But Strength Running is not just a podcast. Don't miss our growing YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos on injury prevention for runners, short strength workouts specific to the demands of running, smarter training tips to keep you running fast, and more. Go to youtube.com slash strengthrunning, subscribe, and you'll see every video that we publish. And of course, strengthrunning.com is where it all began. Since 2010, we've been helping runners around the world improve with our award-winning blog, our free email courses on strength training, nutrition, injury prevention, and improving your mindset. Plus, all of Strength Running's training programs and coaching services to help you accomplish your biggest running goals. You can see all of those at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. We are supported by my favorite electrolyte company, Element. This summer, prevent the symptoms of electrolyte imbalances like headaches, cramps, fatigue, and weakness with Element. If you've eliminated most processed foods from your diet, you're also likely eliminating the largest source of sodium in your diet, according to the FDA. Let's fix that. Get a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. They'll send you a sample pack with one packet of each flavor so you can try them all out before committing. That's drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning to claim your free gift. We're also supported by Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes AG1, one of the few supplements that I use every day. I love this stuff. It's the most popular greens mix available on the market. It has 75 vitamins and minerals, prebiotics, probiotics, antioxidants, and adaptogens. To make taking control of your health even easier, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free one-year supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. I love the travel packs. I love throwing them in my duffel bag or my backpack whenever I'm traveling so that just in case I have a couple extra AG1 with me wherever I go. Just visit athleticgreens.com slash Jason and you can choose from a single purchase or a monthly subscription to make this part of your regular nutrition plan. I try to have one serving every day of AG1 to help me cover my nutritional bases and for a nice boost of midday energy. See all the details at athleticgreens.com slash Jason. 
All right, my guest today was so much fun to work with at a running retreat last month. Dr. Asher Henry has a bachelor's degree in exercise science, a doctorate in physical therapy, and is a certified strength and conditioning specialist. She's also a four-time All-American and placed fifth at the 2017 U.S. Trail Half Marathon Championships. In this conversation, we focus on the posterior chain of muscles that run along our backside. They primarily include the calves, hamstrings, and glutes, which are mostly responsible for our propulsion and our performances. They also happen to be the most likely places for injury. So we're going to discuss at-home assessments, recommended strength exercises, mistakes to avoid, prevention of common injuries, and more. And runners who have our Injury Prevention for Runners program will know that we have a dedicated strength workout for the posterior chain called the stiletto routine. This is a good reminder to do this routine regularly to avoid any issues. You can learn more about it at strengthrunning.com prevention. Now, without further delay, please enjoy my conversation with Dr. Asher Henry. Well, Asher, I'm very excited to talk with you today about something that you gave a presentation on at the Endeavor Run Retreat about a month ago. So thanks for making the time for us today and welcome. Yes, you're welcome. It's uh, it's actually really exciting to do this because I don't do it very often um, and you're a good friend. And so being able to chat with you is always fun times. Yes, we had such a good time at the Endeavor on Retreat. I, I ruined a couple of your reels by making silly faces in the background. <laughs> we, we had a great time. And what we're going to talk about today was actually this lengthy presentation that was very interactive that you gave with all of the attendees at the camp. Now, unfortunately, I had to step out for just an errand that I had to run. So I wasn't there for the majority of this presentation. So it's sort of new for me too, which I think is very exciting. And I'm definitely going to ask you lots of questions about the posterior chain and why it's important for runners. So let's dive right in. Can we start super basic? What is the posterior chain? Yeah, the posterior chain um, is essentially musculature that runs from our heel all the way to the top of our mid-back. As In the running world, we usually talk more about the lower posterior chain. So you can think hips down on the backside of our body uh, and muscles that are the footprint is there. Just because that's where most of our injuries happen, it doesn't mean that the muscles above it are important. We can talk about the importance of postural um, awareness and strength above the hips and um, like anti-rotation stuff. But but really, when we're talking about a lot of injuries and stuff and injury prevention, we're talking about the lower posterior chain. Um, so for example, calves and hamstrings and glutes, which everybody likes to talk about, a uh, hot topic. So yeah, posterior chain, lower half is more important typically to injury prevention, um, but upper half definitely has its play too. Yeah, for sure. And I think for runners, you know, like you said, most of our injuries do actually occur in the posterior chain, right? When you think about any injury to the hips or glutes or hamstrings or calves or soleus or Achilles, that's all the posterior chain. So this is certainly something that is worthy of our attention and also not just for injury prevention, but it's also important for performance, right? Like if we actually want to run fast, we need to make sure that these muscles are not just strong, but working properly and mobile and all that, right? Absolutely. And just to go back on what you said, like 
I mean, even the plantar fascia, which is one of the top five most commonly injured areas in the runner's body, is technically portion a portion of that. Like it's the fascial unit that extends down the rest of the foot, you know, coming out of the posterior chain. So yes, like most of the injuries in the top five, top 10 are located in the posterior chain. Of course, you have things like runner's knee and uh, patellar tendonitis, things like that that aren't. Uh, but yeah, so it's really important to maintain that longevity in sports. Um, and it's really important to performance, like you said. So if those muscles aren't strong, if they're not mobile, if they aren't mobile and strong together, um, and if they aren't working at the same percentage. So it, depending on our stride or what we're doing, we don't always want the hamstrings firing at 100% and the calves firing at 20% or the glutes firing at 50% and the calves firing at 50%. Like it, it's all a, a unit, uh, a, an area that needs to work together properly. And so training it to work properly, not only training it to be nice and mobile and be able to, you know, move through its full range of motion or not only training it to be nice and strong, uh, but also training it to work together is really important to getting those um, perform- performance outputs that we want. Yeah, and I can't wait to explore that a little bit more because I think it's really important to think not just in terms of strength, but about function. How are these mus- muscles actually working the way that they're intended to work and the way that we want them to work as runners? Um, I'd like to take a maybe a step back and, and talk about in terms of our running stride, in terms of our gait mechanics, what role does the posterior chain play? Because it seems like most of the muscles in our lower legs are in fact part of the posterior chain. Is that right? Yeah, most of them. Um, We obviously have the quads and anterior tib and some of our stabilizers that aren't included, like ankle stabilizers, the muscles on the sides of our lower leg. But generally speaking, those power muscles that we use to push us forward are all those found in the posterior chain. Um, and that's kind of why we talk a lot about the glutes, because those are the glute maxes are a huge muscle that that produces a lot of force uh, when we are trying to move forward fast. And then our glute medius, which a lot of people talk about as well in the strength world, is a big player in stabilizing our pelvis. So when we talk about core stabilization or central stabilizers. We're not only talking about our core, we're talking about some of the musculature in the posterior chain, like those glute um, medius muscles. So yeah, they're, they're huge players in powerful, efficient stride. Asher, when we're thinking about injuries, when we're thinking about potential problems that stem from the muscles in our posterior chain, what are some of those common issues that you see in you know, the physical therapy world when runners come to see you with some issue. And, you know, most of these muscles that we use as runners are in the posterior chain. So what are some of the common problems that you're seeing? Yeah, if we want to work up from the ground, uh, Achilles tendonitis is huge. Uh, I mentioned plantar fasciitis before. Um, A lot of the itises now we uh, have renamed a little bit, but I think those are the most common terms for them that most people would know. Uh, But yeah, extending past injury. We have a lot of calf tightness in the running world, um, a lot of calf weakness. Uh, we have hamstring hamstring uh, tendinopathy or injury to the hamstring muscle and tendon itself. Usually, if we talk about hamstring, we're talking about that upper insertional pain. So the part of the, the hamstring that connects 
um, right below uh, our sits bones or our tissue. <laughs> um, and then we can have some injuries like glute tendonitis as well. Like a lot uh, with, with running in general, a lot of the injuries that we see are more chronic, right? We, we do repetitive motion. And so when we talk about the posterior chain, we talk about a lot of tendon issues. Achilles is a tendon, upper insertional hamstring um, is a tendon, um, and then glute tendonitis is a tendon. <laughs> so a lot of tendonitis that can happen there, but also um, a lot of strains to the musculature and the hamstrings, a lot of tightness um, can follow that line as well into the calf. So um, yeah, a lot of not so fun things that can prevent us from doing what we love. It's funny how most of these injuries, and of course, muscle strains is in its own category, but it's funny how most of these injuries are not actually injuries to the specific muscle. It's more the connective tissue. It's more the tendons and ligaments. Can you talk a little bit about why that is? And, and this is definitely a little bit outside the, the realm of talking about the posterior chain, but it's just so interesting to me that, you know, we distance runners we're not hurt. We're not straining our hamstring. Most of the time, we're not getting muscle strains in the quad or the calf nearly as much as all of these connective tissue problems, which I think is very interesting because, you know, when we're trying to run fast, we are recruiting all of these muscle fibers and, and really trying to like power down the road or the track. And nevertheless, it's still the little things that end up getting hurt. Why is that? Yeah, it's actually fascinating. It's a good question. Um, essentially, we have less circulation to our tendons than we do our muscles. Um, our capillary systems, the density of them or the amount of capillaries that surround the muscle is so much higher than it is in the tendons. Um, and we tend to do the same thing over and over and over again. So the stride is the exact same. Our muscles become very efficient, but our tendons, um, if they get a little tweaked, don't have the same capacity to remodel as fast. Um, so to heal themselves as fast as the muscles do. So if you think strength training, you go and you deadlift, which recruits a lot of the posterior chain and you have some soreness in your muscles in the posterior chain. And after a few days, it really resolves itself because we have that good, highly oxygenated blood flow to our muscles, which allows the muscles to have everything they need to remodel and heal quickly, building better strength for the next time we do it. The tendons don't have that. They, they have some, you know, um, blood flow to them, obviously, but it's not to the same degree. So if we end up tweaking those a little bit with the same exact stride that we do over and over and over again, um, that's why variability is good to program into your training plan. Um, then we're going to hurt them and they aren't as readily, um, healing isn't, isn't going to happen as readily or as quickly. So how do we get more blood flow to our tendons? You know, like, can we just sit around massaging our kneecap and, and all of the little connective tissues in our ankles? That doesn't seem like the best idea. I love how you said kneecap, like that's not a bone. <laughs> um, it's just a product of our anatomy. Honestly, the thing that we can do um, to be smarter about these injuries that can flare up and to decrease the chance of us getting injured in the first place is take care of our muscles so that they aren't um, 
putting extra strain through our tendons so our muscles can work better and function better so that our tendons can function just as they should. Um, instead, which is, you know, just connect the muscle to the bone essentially, right? Like the, the muscle itself is what has the, the ability to stretch and contract and produce force and do all these things. Um, but it doesn't have the ability to connect to the bone <laughs> and move our joints and our bones like it, like we have to, to do what we want to. So if we take care of the muscle and it's properly mobile and it's properly strong and it's firing like it should, um, then it's, responsibility it's fully responsible and doesn't have to share that responsibility with the tendon as much and the tendon can just do what it needs to um so take care take care of the muscle which was is what the presentation um is primarily about yeah and it actually resonates very strongly with me because it seems like the muscle is the thing in your body which is actually doing the hard work this is the 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 unit that is providing all of the power, the the contraction forces and all of that. And you're really just relying on the connective tissues. Like you said, I thought this was really simple and, and effective in helping me understand things. It's just connecting the muscle to the bone. It's not providing that force or that power to your stride. So take care of the muscle first. And then it seems like the tendon issues take care of themselves. If you don't have underlying things going on, like if you've already injured the tendon, there could be some stuff that is preventing um, or increasing your chance of injury. Say if you've if you have an Achilles injury and you have some residual scar tissue um, happening in that area, then you probably need to see a professional to help you with that or do very specific exercises to correct and remodel those fibers. Um, but if we're talking about baseline healthy structures and healthy tissues, then yes, uh, focus on the muscle. Um, the tendons will, will yes, take care of themselves as long as the unit itself is working together as it should. That, that also sounds like an endorsement for strength training to get those stronger muscles, to actually get them to be able to handle a higher workload. And to be proactive about assessing what your muscles are doing, um, how they're feeling, um, muscle testing yourself, mobility testing yourself, and then developing, developing a plan that's intentional and not just strength training to strength train. Like I, obviously we are in the same mind with strength training, like every runner should be doing strength training, uh, but it shouldn't be haphazard either. And so making sure you're doing things that is specific to your needs, um, and your, posterior chains needs, not just even academic needs. Like you can look it up in a book and be like, oh, this is what it looks like. But if you're not assessing yourself, you're not going to know exactly what you specifically need because nobody is textbook. <laughs> so, right. Yeah. We're all individuals, right? Um, yeah. Let's, let's talk about treatment in a little while. Let's first focus a little bit on prevention. So let's say you are a healthy person, but you don't want any of these issues. You're like every runner out there. <laughs> and, you know, you're, you're kind of thinking about this in terms of, you know, how do I get stronger? How do I get more mobile? How do I make sure these muscles are, are firing properly and being used in, in the right way? But at the same time, how do you even know what might be a potential problem area for you? You, you mentioned assessments. Are there some simple things runners can do at home to figure out, you know, do I have either an imbalance or some sort of discrepancy between my left and right side? Or is it just, are, is this particular muscle 
very weak. You know, say the calf, for example, I know that's a particularly important muscle that you can isolate and do a pretty good assessment on, you know, so what are some of the things that runners can do at home to figure out where their weaknesses might be? So taking your example of the calf, I like to run people through, like when I do these educational courses, I like to run people through a mobility assessment and then a strength assessment that they can easily do at home. So we use foam rollers, we use um, tennis balls usually because they're easily accessible and, and kind of roll out the area to see how it's generally feeling. Most of the time, I know the literature is kind of foggy on if you can directly relate tenderness to um, a mobility issue, but um, there is some correlation between like, ah, is my calf really tight and tender in this spot? Do I feel the sensation of tightness? Do I feel the sensation of tenderness? Um, And then if that is the case, what kind of mobility techniques can I do to isolate that area? Um, so we do a lot of rolling for the calf. And then I show people how to do techniques from physical therapy that you can actually take in and use in your prevention routine so and maintenance routine. So let's do some calf pin and pumps where we pin down the area with the ball or put pressure on the ball um, through our leg and then move our ankle so that the calf moves full through its full range of motion, um, decreasing the tension through the area um, by almost targeting, and this is getting too much in the weeds, so I'll pull back, but almost targeting the central nervous system to relax the area. Um, and so then once we get through the mobility assessment, we do a strength assessment on each side for how many calf raises can you do both in a straight leg position and a bent knee position? Because a lot of people don't think about the fact that we have two muscles that make up our calf, a gastroc and a soleus. And the soleus to test it in isolation, you can only do that with a bent knee. So we go through calf raises aiming for up to 25. 25 is kind of our max gold standard for full strength. If we're seeing a discrepancy side to side that's more than about 10% or um, below about 20 reps before they max out, then there's an opportunity there to not only strengthen, uh, but to even out the asymmetry. And so they can take that information, put it into a strength program, work with their coach to be like, hey, these are the issues that I'm seeing in the area. How can we, how can we resolve them with strength and mobility training? Um, and then it's an easy way to reassess later. Assessment is only really useful long term if you reassess uh, to keep progressing forward. So same thing with the hamstring. Um, there is I, we can link it. Do you have show notes? We can link it in the show notes. I feel so professional saying that. <laughs> <laughs> we sure uh, can, Asher. <laughs> but there's uh, there's videos that can show you how to test your strength in the calf, the hamstring and the glutes at home and see if there are those asymmetries from side to side. There's some bridge techniques. Um, so a, a traditional glute bridge that you would think about on the floor, backs on the ground, feet are on the ground, tushies, um, pushing your body up into that bridge position. Um, and you can take that position, do modifications to really test out hamstring and glute strength, um, and see where you are side to side. So that's what we do to get all the information to develop that strength program program going forward. 
Yeah, and I actually remember doing the the glute bridge. This is an exercise I've been doing since college. I have a core routine for runners called the standard core routine. And any runner who might be listening to this who's familiar with this routine knows that the glute bridge is the third exercise in this sequence. And when you start doing it as a marching bridge, so when you're only putting your weight through one foot, I, I find the discrepancy between the left and right side to be really fascinating because if you have a weakness on one side, your pelvis is going to start to sag and drop on the opposite side. So for example, my left glute, I wish I could kick it to the curb. It's not nearly as good as my right side and it's definitely weaker. It doesn't do its job properly. And when I do that single leg glute bridge, when I'm doing it on the left side, the right side of my pelvis has this little bit of a drop to it. And it's fascinating because it's definitely an issue of control, not of strength, because I can put much more strength into that glute bridge, but I just can't get the pelvis into that neutral position in the same way that I can get the right side to. And I think it's wonderfully educational to understand how your body works and where your imbalances or weaknesses might be. And I think that just that very simple idea of do a glute bridge let's see if you have a drop on the right or left side, I think it is very powerful for runners. Also, you talking about the calf raise and also doing a bent knee calf raise, just can you do 25 reps on, on both legs? And if you have a substantial discrepancy between the left and the right in terms of how you're feeling, what your strength is like, then that's going to be really apparent. And, and I really like these, these very simple assessments. Is there one for the hamstring that you recommend? And I'll definitely put in links to, you know, any videos in the show notes. Yeah. And it's kind of a similar, it's instead of being on the ground, when you're in a glute bridge, you're essentially elevating your feet so that you can place your pressure, the pressure that you're placing into the ground or that, or that hard surface into a bench or a chair or whatever through your heel. And so by shifting off of your uh, like off of a flat foot and onto a heel, you're actually going to recruit the hamstrings primarily instead of the glutes. Even though you're in that glute bridge position, your glutes are going to maintain um, the stability of the position, but your hamstrings are going to be doing more of the work. And so you can test them in a similar position, which again is nice because then you don't have to think about multiple mechanics. Um, it's it's simple and it's um, it plays nicely with the rest of the assessment tools too. Um, so yes, I will, I will include, I will send you that link so you can include it. Um, but going back to the, to the comment you made about it's easy or it's fascinating to see those discrepancies in strength and things like it's and how you see those, how you feel your body during them and the differences from side to side. Like it's also fascinating because it focuses you to, it focuses you in on what you're doing very specifically. So you can kind of see the compensations that you're tending to do instead of when we go through strength, sometimes we're like, okay, we're going to get formed during these first couple reps. And then we're just going to go through it and knock it out and go, you know, do whatever we're doing for the rest of the day. And with these exercises, like it slows you down and makes you focus on what you're doing when you fatigue out. It's, these are maximum effort um, assessments so that you can see what am I missing when I'm actually doing my strength work too? And how can I tweak my form to get more out of 
uh, the exercises that I'm doing for these posterior chain muscles. I think the other thing that I really like about these types of assessments is that, you know, they identify the chinks in your armor, the little areas where you are likely to break down when you're pushing the effort and training, whether that's high mileage, whether that's more aggressive long runs, or you start getting really consistent with some challenging workouts every week, you know, at at some point, something is going to start to break down. It's sort of inevitable. It happens to all of us as runners. And these assessments give you a little bit of some, some clues or insights into what might happen in the future. And so I almost look at it as like this fun crystal ball where, you know, you're like, if I'm going to get hurt and I did all these assessments, it's definitely going to be likely stemming from, you know, this problem or this problem that I discovered. And it's in those types of assessments that you can then build yourself back and get stronger and address those chinks in your armor so that you're going to be more effective when you're pushing the effort in your training. And so I, I think of it as, you know, like you were saying earlier in this conversation, you know, this has to do with our longevity as runners. Let's make sure we don't have enormous imbalances or strength discrepancies, because those are the things that are ultimately going to cause our injuries, our very serious injuries, and could potentially take us out of the sport for a long time. Yeah, it's it's hearing the whispers a little bit clearer. So I always talk, I always talk about how your body whispers to you before it screams. Um, and this is kind of zoning in and like lowering the volume of everything else going around so you can hear, oh, my calves are actually whispering, right? Like it's, it's an area that I need to focus on. Um, because yeah, I mean, we, a lot of us uh, hopefully do this sport to get more life out of life. Right. And it, when we're set back, like it's just, it impacts our quality of life overall. So if we can prevent some of those injuries from happening or even niggles where we're set back two or three days or a week, like it just brings so much more, um, enjoyment to what we're doing. And if we can do a 10 minute assessment every month to make sure we're hearing the whispers that our body is like telling us, Hey, you need to focus on this, um, and correct that with a couple simple exercises or address that with a couple simple exercises, then we should do that. It's easy. Yeah. I'm always in favor of relatively easy interventions that have outsized payoffs for your running. And you've hinted a little bit about doing this assessment, you know, not just once, but you know, you said earlier, the real value in doing these assessments is the fact that you do them multiple times over time. And it's the trend over time that's most important. How often do you recommend doing, you know, assessments for our calf, hamstring and glutes? Yeah. With my athletes, I usually say do it once a month, um, at minimum at, you know, at maximum once every two months, um, our body remodels tend mm, about every six to eight months. Um, our, a lot of our tissues remodel and things. So if we're going to see some things pop up or some, um, compensations occur that are going to encourage some alternate, um, results from this, from this assessment tool, like, or these assessment tools, then we're going to see them in the, in that kind of one to two month period. Um, so you want to keep on it. So test once every two, one month, once every two months and make for sure you're writing it down. Like I encourage people write down what your results were so that you're not just testing to see that moment in time. But like you said, you're testing to see this whole like 
um, picture of what your body is doing and what your training is doing because the body's going to re- you know, respond to the stimulus placed on it. Um, and you want to make sure you're not, you're giving it the right stimulus and not missing anything. Yeah. And this sounds like a great opportunity to make sure you're keeping a training log and a great place to put all this information in there so that you can refer back to it. And I think it's also a, a really neat way of, you know, kind of creating that historical record for yourself. So if you do get hurt, well, let's go back, let's look at your training, but let's also look at your last assessment. And, you know, what did it show you? What did it tell you? And then what do you do with that information? You know, did you just ignore it? Were you like, hey, that's cool, but I'm just going to keep banging out these long runs and hard workouts. That may not be the best idea for you. Um, Asher, I think my next question is, okay, we've, we've done some assessments. Maybe we've figured out we do have some sort of weakness or discrepancy what's next? What should we be thinking about in terms of our action plan if we do discover that we have an issue in some of these major critical muscles? Yeah. So first off, is it mobility or is it strength? So that you can kind of get a clear idea of where you want to go with that. Um, If you have some professional coach, PT, Cairo, whatever, helping you that has a good idea of exercise prescription, like can you give them that information and talk through them through it with them so that they can help you develop a plan. Um, And then really looking at, okay, say you have a discrepancy in calves. Like these assessment tools are actually strength tools too, or at least a place to start with your strength. I'm a proponent of heavy lifting, um, but you don't start lifting with giant, you know, plates and things. So if you aren't doing a lot of strength, body weight can, can make big improvements on, on your overall strength to begin with. So use these tools to strengthen your body. Then once they get easy, continue on with the next um, progression, which I talk about going from body weight to bands, to weights, to heavier weights, um, and then moving into more functional uh, exercises that actually increase the transfer of the strength that you are doing into our actual running. So this is a little pause to get on a soapbox about how drills and plyometrics can be great, but waiting to do those until you actually have the strength (laughs) to do the right mechanics. But it is a very big component that a lot of runners leave out of their plan. Like if you're doing a workout, like throw in some um, plyometrics and drills beforehand so that what you're doing, that supplemental work that you're doing to correct your calf um, imbalances, isn't just going to waste. We don't want strength for strength. We want strength that's usable um, and functional in our running. And that's a great way doing drills and things that can really encourage the good mechanics that use the strength in a way that encourages better running economy and better output as far as power and performance of that of the posterior chain area. So I don't know if that answered your question enough, but essentially (laughs) um, you're taking these assessment tools and you can either use the actual exercise that you're doing in the assessment to strengthen um, doing three sets of eight to begin with and increasing from there as things get, as things get easy, or, um, you can add weight as you go as well to encourage and challenge your body to get to that 90, 95% output area, um, effort area, excuse me, so that you can get the strength gains that you're looking for. 
Yeah, the way I'm kind of thinking about this is let's say you wanted to test yourself for endurance. So you go out there and you start running. And at mile eight, you just everything starts falling apart. And you say to yourself, okay, I, I can run for about eight miles before my body starts rebelling. I lose energy and, you know, my, my legs crap out on me. What, what the solution to that is kind of more of the same. You just need to do more running to gradually build up your tolerance and your ability to do more. And it seems like the very same thing is true with these strength exercises. They're great assessments. They can also then be used for the general strength gains that we're looking for. And I love, I kind of want to take a little bit of a detour here because I absolutely love this idea of let's not do plyometrics until you're strong enough to do them. And, you know, I have written about every little minutia aspect of running over the last 12 years, but I virtually did not mention plyometrics at all until 2018 you know, eight years into, you know, my coaching and content creation kind of journey here. And that's because I was always so hesitant to have everyday runners do a bunch of plyometrics because they are, I like to think of them as the icing on the cake. They're the cherry on top. They really help you transfer your strength into performance, into speed. But if you're not doing them right, or if you don't have that foundation of strength beforehand, it's going to be really challenging for you to, number one, realize those gains, and number two, do them effectively so that you're actually benefiting yourself and not getting hurt. So I think that's a really important point. And you know, I, I think plyometrics are one of those types of drills that we have to program intelligently into the training and not just throw them in there all willy-nilly and you know, high volume reps of plyometrics because they are quite, I don't want to say damaging, but they potentially can be because they're very intense and they're very unlike most of the other things we do as runners, you know, like what is something that is similar to a plyometric, like maybe a one max, one rep max deadlift or squat or something very similar to that. You know, there's very few things that are similar to plyometrics, you know, maybe sprinting at max effort is similar to plyometrics. And so I, I'm just really glad that you took this approach of get strong first before you start adding in these plyos, because you might regret that later on. For sure. I mean, the body has a hard time controlling things at high speed. Um, and so if your form is not spot on, the altered mechanics that you may have are going to shine, unfortunately, <laughs> in something like a ply plyometric. So I completely agree. Yeah. Asher, can we talk a little bit more about some of the next step exercises in this progression? You know, you've mentioned it's really great to start with body weight, maybe use some of these assessment exercises as our foundation, and then build from there. If we are going to then build from there, what are some of the next level exercises? You mentioned bands, maybe some lighter implements. Where do we go from just body weight? Yeah. So if we're talking about the posterior chain in general, I mentioned this earlier too, like deadlift is a great exercise. If you're talking about heavy weight lifting, um, where you, where you incorporate all of the muscles working together. So we're not just focusing initially we do, like you said, want to focus solely on localizing the, the uh, muscle group and strengthening it by itself. Once we feel 
that we've got really good strength and really good um, symmetry between sides in that local group, say calves or hamstrings or glutes, then we want to start working more whole body exercises or at least whole lower chain exercises um, into the training program that you have so that they can fire the way that they're supposed to. You're not always supposed to fire the calves first and the glutes second or the hamstrings first and the glutes second. Like most of the time there is a um, order of events that should happen. And if one muscle group doesn't have the strength that it needs to um, in isolation, then that pattern isn't going to happen. If everything's strong like it should, then you can start incorporating those whole body movements back in so that your body can then relearn that patterning. Um, and again, be more likely to transfer it into our running. So I like to incorporate some things, uh, like for the glutes, I like to incorporate a plank as one of the more full body exercises, but one that encourages the glutes to fire, um, as a primary working muscle group. And then the other muscles to kind of be, a little bit more in the background, similar uh, um, to what we would see in actual running. And so with the hamstrings, I like to do a single leg forward, le so forward reach where it's more like a single leg RDL and you're encouraging the hamstrings to really stabilize and have power in that exercise, but you're also incorporating the calves for stability and the glutes as well. Uh, for strength in the movement. So you're wanting to isolate it first, and then you're wanting to build all the muscle, build exercises in that incorporate all the muscle groups going forward. So then your body can use all that strength in a way that is congruent throughout the posterior chain for running. Do we have to do these exercises all the time? Or is this something that we only have to do when we're battling a niggle or if our assessment has discovered some sort of imbalance? So ideally you're doing strike all the time in general, but as you, as your assessments show that you don't have big discrepancies, hopefully you've gotten to a point where you do have these larger, more functional exercises like RDLs um, worked in that incorporates all the posterior chain so that you can take what you have done and continue moving it forward. And then you're just progressing yourself like you would in a traditional strength program. Anyways, you're increasing weight or reps or sets or whatever you're doing to progress your strength going forward. Um, so it naturally becomes part of what you do, but not in a way that adds time. It just adds more intentional um, focus to your strength. Yeah. And of course, that was a little bit of a loaded question. Of course, I think yeah. <laughs> runners should be strength training. <laughs> um, it also seems to me like some of the, the body weight or banded exercises that specifically isolate individual muscles, those might be a little bit more important for dealing with specific issues when you might have a niggle or an imbalance but then once you get healthier and healthier, you don't have any issues, you don't have any discrepancies, then you can focus a little bit more on, you know, what I'll call the more fundamental exercises, you know, the squat, the deadlift, and, and all the little variations of those two big exercises. Is that generally true? And, and how you kind of think about the progression of, you know, hyper-specific isolation exercises, you know, like a clamshell or 
you know, you know, those kinds of exercises where you're working on like this little stabilizing muscle and almost nothing else. But then as you get healthier, it's the bigger lifts. Yes. And I would say that generally holds true. I mean, there's some scenarios where people have a history of X, Y, or Z and want to have more focus on um, long-term prevention because they have had a bigger um, or more cyclical injury in the past where they get injured, heal, get injured, heal, get injured, heal. Um, But generally that holds true as long, again, kind of just to reiterate what I kind of beaten to the ground already a little bit. So, <laughs> but, um, as long as you're incorporating all the muscle groups that you need to be incorporating, um, if we're talking about specifically the posterior chain, the lower posterior chain, those glutes, all of the glutes, there's three of them, um, hamstring and calves, again, all of the calves, uh, gastroc and soleus, as long as you're incorporating all of the muscle groups in these bigger lifts, then you're still strengthening them. You just, you no longer need to isolate it because there is a deficiency in them. Um, you're naturally progressing as you would any other muscle and you're getting stronger to, they're getting stronger together instead of stronger in an isolated way. You uh, essentially isolate them to bring them up to scratch and then they can work, um, as the whole unit going forward. I would love to end with maybe a little case study on, I think, an issue that many runners have problems with, and that's the the glute med. And, and this is such an important muscle because it really kind of helps stabilize the, the femur and the pelvis. And I personally have a problem with my left glute med, uh, like we were talking about earlier. And I know that it kind of needs to play a little bit of catch up to uh, the, the right side of my body. So what are some general things that I should start right now? And then maybe what should my approach look like one to two months from now once I've, you know, done some of that more specific work? So right now you can start incorporating more specific glute mead strengthening into the stuff you're probably already doing. So if somebody does a sideline plank a lot, they can bend that bottom knee put more pressure into the knee, into the ground, um, which recruits more of the lower glute med. Um, and I would say a big thing is to train the left side, not challenge the right side. So instead of maybe doing 10 reps of something on the left, because your left is the weak side and then your right's still stronger. So you're going to be doing 12 to 15 reps on that, or you're going to increase for that. Um, air on the side of the left. So let it catch up before you progress everything else. Cause if it's, st- if it's gaining strength, but you're still pushing, um, the other side, then they're never going to be even. And you're always going to have some kind of deficiency side to side, and that's going to lead to compensations and a whole slew of things. Um, So train the left, focus in on the left, do things like single leg um, banded clocks. Um, I can also send you this link. Do side plank with your knee down like I talked about before. Incorporate specific glute med exercises, but do so as your warm-up. Um, do it to activate, do it to strengthen, and then incorporate it into your traditional core routine. Um, you might have to take a little bit more time to incorporate one or two more exercises for the glute med in the short term. But then as things 
use the assessment tools. And as things start evening out, then you can minimize the amount of extra exercises that you're doing and allow those bigger, more foundational, functional exercises to take its place. You know, Asher, I'm always concerned about building fitness on top of dysfunction. And is there any harm done if you kind of skip some of the isolation work, maybe you don't let the left side catch up to the right, and you just start going ham on deadlifts, heavy deadlifts, or or weighted single leg deadlifts, or pistol squats, or things like that, that are really going to target the, the individual glute muscles in a way that, you know, you don't get to rely on the other side. Is there a problem there if we start doing things like that? Your uh, leading questions are excellent today. <laughs> uh, yes, obviously, you're you're gonna your body is going to complete the exercise in whatever way it can. So, just because you're doing the exercise doesn't mean you're doing the exercise right, and it doesn't mean you're not setting yourself up for injury, um, even though you're completing it. So. It's not a checked box. Just because you're doing deadlifts doesn't mean you're doing deadlifts for the right reason. Um, you could be doing things that could actually injure yourself later on. So yes, come back down, um, do things that actually specifically addresses the issues that you're seeing with these assessment tools, and then allow yourself to naturally build back up into those bigger movements the correct way <laughs> uh, so that it actually has these performance-enhancing um, abilities and injury prevention abilities. I love it. Asher, this has been such a tour de force into the posterior chain and how we can better assess ourselves and think more strategically about all of the different potential problems we might have in some of these really important muscles and then specific exercises that are really great and, and also how to progress those exercises. So I think this has been really great. And I know for me, I'm going to start some of these extra exercises because my left glute need uh, needs to play that catch up and it needs to start carrying its weight around here. Have I missed anything about preventing or treating or assessing posterior chain problems in endurance runners? Is there another way of thinking about this or approaching this issue that you'd like to leave us with? Hmm. I mean, we've gone over a, a good bit of the major points that I like to cover. I would just like to reiterate that the importance of that reassessment. Um, a lot of people, if they're not feeling any issues, they don't pay attention to what's going on specifically in their body. And, and I am definitely, <laughs> um, I fall into that uh, claim too. Like I do that as well. But if we can just take a small amount of time periodically, like, make it part of your calendar and your phone, like put it um, as an event that you get alerts and no notifications to, because taking care of your body is one of the most important things we can do holistically as a wellness program, but also for our running as well. Just taking care, taking time to take care of your body, assess what's going on, and then structure your training um, like you would for any other goal. Our goal is to maintain health and perform. Um, and this is a way of doing that more intentionally. So I would just really, really, really encourage everyone listening um, to make sure you're assessing your body and then programming in what um, results that assessment might have and then reassessing from time to time so that you can have more of a long-term um, joy in the sport. <laughs> 
I love it. And I know our listeners are going to want more Asher Henry in their lives. Where can folks <laughs> find you on the internets and follow some of your work? On the interwebs, yes. I uh, have an Instagram handle. It's Dasher, or <laughs> what is my Instagram handle? It, handle. It's Dr. Asher Runs. And then I also have a website at dasherpr.com. They can find me there. Um, you can email me anytime with any questions. If you have any follow-ups specifically on this, I love to just nerd out on some fun posterior chain stuff. So yeah, even more than we did today. So oh my gosh, I will include so <laughs> all those links in our show notes. And I think our show notes are going to be very comprehensive after this conversation, lots of different videos and different assessment tools. So Asher, thanks so much for your time, your expertise and your wisdom today. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a joy. Thanks for listening in, my friends. If you found value in this episode, I would so appreciate a review in Apple Music or wherever you listen to podcasts. And for those who want to learn more about injury prevention, get our free email course at strengthrunning.com prevention. And if you love this podcast, please consider supporting our sponsors who help make it possible. First, let's hook you up with some free electrolytes. Our sponsor, Elemental Labs, is offering a free gift with your purchase at drinklmnt.com slash strengthrunning. You'll get a sample pack with every flavor, so you can try them all out before deciding what you like best. Right now, I've got to say, I'm still sticking with watermelon as my number one. I'm sorry, citrus, you've been downgraded to number two. But nevertheless, still two amazing flavors that I love to hand out to folks whenever I can. Now, Elemental Labs makes electrolytes for athletes and low-carb folks with no sugar, no artificial ingredients, and no artificial colors. And it's surprisingly delicious. Seriously, everyone who I've given it to loves it. And it can be a really helpful way to prevent dehydration when it's very hot outside. If you sometimes feel overly tired or you get headaches, cramps, or even sleeplessness after long runs or workouts, you might have an electrolyte imbalance or a deficiency. You can boost your performance and your recovery, especially in the heat, with Elemental Labs. They're the exclusive hydration partner to Team USA Weightlifting, and quite a few professional baseball, hockey, and basketball teams are on regular subscriptions. Check them out at drinklmnt.com strengthrunning to get your free gift with your purchase, and you can get your hydration optimized for this summer season. I'm also grateful for the support of Athletic Greens, the health and wellness company that makes comprehensive daily nutrition incredibly simple. And that's key for me because I personally struggle with eating super healthy all the time. What can I say? I love pizza and the freezer is definitely my friend when it comes to <laughs> easy meals. Now, I find their product AG1 really helpful because of that. One scoop a day gives me 75 vitamins and minerals and whole food sourced ingredients, including a greens, superfood blend, probiotics, prebiotics, adaptogens, and more. AG1 helps me fill in any nutrition gaps in my diet because I know I have many of them and it gives me a nice boost of energy and focus throughout the day. And the fact that it supports your immune system, especially now that we're knocking on fall's door and the flu season, that is really important to me. But what I really love about AG1 is that the product changes over time. Over the last decade, they've made 53 individual improvements to the formula based on the latest research. 
and that helps make all the nutrients in AG1 more absorbable and more rigorous when they undergo third-party testing. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to see the great offer they've put together for our podcast listeners. You'll get a year's worth of free vitamin D, which also supports your immune system, and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. Those are great. You can take them with you whenever you travel, and it's a super convenient way to make sure that you're eating a nutrient-dense diet. You can sign up for a single shipment or a monthly drop if you want to make AG1 a part of your regular healthy lifestyle. Go to athleticgreens.com slash Jason to sign up today. All right, that's our show, friends. Support us by using our sponsor links, reviewing the podcast, or getting a training program for yourself at strengthrunning.com slash coaching. And I'm always here to help. So don't ever hesitate to reach out to me through the Strength Running website, or you can message me on Twitter or Instagram. My handle is Jason Fitz one We'll talk to you soon. 